It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Political Podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. For months, it was Brexit means Brexit means Brexit means Brexit means Brexit. But what did it all mean? Theresa May has told us finally in her long-awaited big speech. This week, we've left the studio and we're in Westminster in Portcullis House, overlooking Big Ben, where MPs and journalists are digesting the Prime Minister's speech, which he delivered just up the road at Lancaster House. Here to help explain what it all means is Sam Coates, Deputy Political of The Times, Rachel Sylvester, who used her column in The Times this week to suggest the mood across Europe might be changing on freedom of movement, and Brexit-supporting Tory MP Suella Fernandez. Welcome to you all. Before we get down to business, just a quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, where you can also post a review. If it's a particularly amusing one, I'll read it out next week. So then, uh, Theresa May's big speech promising a truly global Britain. She talked about our best friends in Europe, but then threatened them that she would walk away if they don't give us a decent deal, which she said would be an act of self-harm. Before we get down to business and discuss what it all means, let's have a quick listen to the Prime Minister explaining her vision of Brexit in her own words. We are leaving the European Union, but we are not leaving Europe. And that is why we seek a new and equal partnership between an independent, self-governing global Britain and our friends and allies in the EU. Not partial membership of the European Union, associate membership of the European Union, or anything that leaves us half in, half out. We do not seek to adopt a model already enjoyed by other countries. We do not seek to hold on to bits of membership as we leave. No, The United Kingdom is leaving the European Union, and my job is to get the right deal for Britain as we do. I can confirm today that the government will put the final deal that is agreed between the UK and the EU to a vote in both Houses of Parliament before it comes into force. To Sam, she had 12 negotiating priorities guided by four key principles, but what does it all add up to? Theresa May's speech, the first since uh, early October when she uh, outlined the first glimpse of her vision on Brexit, showed to me one thing more than anything else, and it's a thing that will please her cheerleaders and worry her detractors, which is that she is going to be incredibly ambitious in what she wants to get for Britain. Uh, She talks about a very wide-ranging free trade deal for Britain with the uh, European Union after we leave the uh, after after Brexit, she's talking about a negotiated uh, settlement involving the customs union to try and get the best bits of the customs union for Britain, 
while still allowing us to negotiate free trade deals outside of um, the European Union. Uh, she's going to hold a vote in the Houses of Parliament uh, in order to get a sort of mandate for her deal once it's uh, done. And she's threatening that if all of this doesn't work, she is prepared to walk away and let the uh, British economy sort of take the risk of no trade deal with the rest of Europe and trade relations with the continent operating under World Trade Organization rules. All of this amount. And, that, and that's, that's one of the big takeaways from this, but one of the big surprises from the speech is quite how hard she went on no deal is better than a bad deal exactly she has picked up the language from quite a lot of those who argued for brexit in the first place from a september pamphlet where they say we have to be prepared to walk away from the table if we want to get a good deal and she has cut and paste that straight into her core script now so she is saying there is a chance we don't know how big that chance is uh, but there is a chance that britain could walk away uh, from the table if it doesn't look like Europe, the rest of Europe is giving us what they'd want. And she's saying that it would be really silly for the rest of Europe to do that. So to her supporters, it'll be a bold and clear and ambitious vision to her detractors. They will worry that she's asking for too much and is not going to get it. And as a result, could end up even harming the economy uh, by just pulling out of talks altogether. The one thing you have to say about Theresa May is that she's not a prime minister for the faint-hearted. Rachel, the interesting thing is you can contrast with the approach taken by David Cameron. The criticism of him was he didn't ask for enough to start with, didn't do a very good job of negotiating it, and never really put on the table the idea of walking away or backing Brexit. So she seems to have learnt that and is, you know, appears to be willing to play hardball, she tells other European countries. One minute she's calling them best friends and close friends, and then she's saying that any attempt to punish Britain will be uh, an act of calamitous self-harm. She's she's determined to send a really tough message to other European countries. Yeah, and the danger with that is that she'll find it hard to win over friends. And she talks about how, you know, Britain wants to be a friend to Europe, Europe must be a friend to us, but it's almost a friend with a gun pointed to their heads. <laughs> but in, the danger is, who is Britain actually going to suffer more, as Sam suggests, if we walk away no deal is better than a bad deal. It's like the sort of cowboy Western who's pointing the gun at his own mouth and saying, you know, um, do what I say or I'll shoot. Uh, so I think the the problem for Theresa May is that I think as a former Remainer, she feels she has to almost overcompensate for that. And so she has to show she's as tough as any tough Brexiteer. Um, she has to be the purer and purer about it. I think if Boris Johnson had become prime minister, he might have taken a slightly more immediate a more sort of gentler tone, particularly immigration and free movement, have perhaps been willing to compromise more. But she's going in all guns blazing. Question is, is the gun pointing at her own head? So, Sorelli, you uh, were a supporter of uh, Leave, and you've been one of the leading MPs in sort of trying to put pressure on Downing Street to, to deliver the Brexit that you think people wanted. What was your what's your takeaway from the speech? How did you? How much of it pleased you, and how much of it worried you? I was overall. Uh, overwhelmingly pleased and inspired by the speech. I saw it as a battle, a battle hymn for a self-confident, bold, ambitious Britain, um, you know, maintaining its friendships with the EU, leaving the EU, but not the EU, as to quote Theresa May, and forging new trade deals with the rest of the world. And for me, that's very inspiring. And that really um, sets out a, a very bold vision for life after Brexit. So if we, let's unpack some of the, the detail of it. She talked about how we were, we are leaving the uh, single market. She actually said that quite bluntly in a way that she hadn't up until now. Nobody really expected anything any different. Is that is that a fair? Well, I think there's, there have been, um, you know, it's been my 
hope that she would say that we'd be leaving the internal market. And that's absolutely crucial because if we want to um, stop free movement of labour, if we want to control immigration, we have to be out of the EEA. Uh, If we want to strike our own trade deals, we have to be out of the customs union. And I think that uh, the Prime Minister's commitment to that now is very, very uh, reassuring. Sam, one thing that uh, struck me was she said she didn't want a half-in, half-out deal. Uh, but then when she was talking about the customs union, Jane Merrick, who's a regular writer for Red Box, she was quick to tweet to say she doesn't want a half-in, out, half half-out deal, apart from when it comes to the customs union. I mean, that sounds like that's what she wants. And she would like an, then she was talking about associate membership and the sorts of things which might raise eyebrows amongst some of the more strident Brexiteers. That's absolutely right. Across a, a, a range of areas, whether you you were pro-Brexit or pro-Remain, what I think you've got to recognise now is that what happens next is not entirely in Theresa May or indeed in Britain's hands. We are asking for something and there is a counterparty to this, which is the rest of the European Union, and we've now got to have a negotiation. And that means, as in any negotiation, we're probably not going to get all of what we want. So just look at the list of things that we don't know what we're going to get. We don't know whether how much access Europe is going to be prepared to give us after we've curtailed free movement of labour. We don't know whether or not Europe will grant us that kind of frictionless access at the border um, once we've said that we're actually going to strike our own trade deals with countries like America and Australia. Um, we don't know whether or not we're going to get this all done in two years. There's another interesting element of this where she says that she wants implementation periods, but she's suggesting that she wants all of the discussions about our future trading relationship with Europe done and dusted in two years, something I suspect will come up, to a, will come up against a pretty big bump in Europe fairly quickly. That isn't as well all within our gifts. So you've got all these things where we have now staked out um, our ambition in broad terms, uh, but we don't know how the other side are going to respond. And so... For everybody who wants to take back control, you've got this problem that now we've got the phase where Europe has to respond, and that might be um, uh, uncomfortable. Will she get what she wants on the customs union? Is it a half-in, half-deal? Well, we're just going to have to wait and see. I thought it was striking, although towards the end where she played the no deal's better than a bad deal card, actually the first big chunk of the speech was all sort of buttering up our friends in Europe and how she wants a new and strong, constructive partnership with them, and uh, you know, together we can all be much better off. Rachel, you've written about this in your column this week, and particularly on the subject of immigration, the changing mood in some European capitals about immigration. To what extent do you think that other European leaders are willing to listen to this message of a new partnership, or are they more concerned about protecting their own countries and protecting the EU as an institution? Well, I think what's interesting is the politics is changing across the EU. So you've got elections coming up in France, Germany, the Netherlands, where far-right parties are making inroads. um, And the mainstream politicians are starting to respond, and and they're starting to be more flexible on the free movement of people than they were when David Cameron was negotiating. So there's a potential irony that the EU could move on this and and make more concessions to Britain just at the very moment when Britain is walking away. So the point I was making in my column is that Theresa May should be listening and more flexible about what's actually coming out of Europe and not just sort of telling the other leaders what she's thinking. It's also about listening to what they're saying and and being willing to move and compromise. I think the danger is she's she you know she's laying down the law if you like. But actually, this is a negotiation, and you're not going to get an outcome unless you you you, you move and you change and you you're willing to compromise. Do you think that's in our nature? Because one of the things that you hear from cabinet ministers and people who are in number 10 under David Cameron, and particularly if you speak to Lib Dems who ever tried to negotiate whether to join the coalition, they would have 
a conversation that went, uh, we want to do this, and she would say no. And they'd offer a bit of a concession, she would say no. And she would just keep saying no until she got what she wanted. And she yeah. was a, sort of, and, you know, survived brilliantly well and always, you know, won the day. But you can't replicate that from the home no, office to negotiating. No, and they keep saying no, you'll lose in the end. Because in the end, we yeah. we end up with a worse deal than yeah. uh, the one that we could potentially get if we if we gave exactly. a bit of ground. There's, I think there's a danger of her sort of slightly tin ear. And I also that, that factor that she's having to appeal to the Brexiteers and the Eurosceptics in her own party, and sometimes I think she's more aware of the politics of that than the politics of, of the rest of the EU. I don't know what Suella thinks. Well, I think it's all going to come down to economics in the end. And, you know, the UK is the EU's biggest export market. And so if the EU leaders have the economic well-being of their people at the forefront of their mind, they will realise that they have more to lose by not cooperating with the UK. We start from a position of strength for both sides. And actually, a, a free trade agreement is a, is a, a win-win situation. But as Theresa May set out, even if we are subject to most favoured nation rules under World Trade Organization rules, we'll still be okay. I think one of the things that Theresa May is trying to tell both Britons and the rest of Europe is that there are a lot of cards in our favour and we're not going to be prepared to use um, to, to sort of forego them, however squeamish some people might be. So if you look at the German, the Spanish, the Danish financial services systems, they will all suffer if, uh, if there is no cooperation between the UK and the rest of Europe on financial services. You look at Eastern Europe, they rely on British money in order to help defend them against Russia. I don't think Theresa's too squeamish to maybe point that out once or twice in the in the in the coming uh, months and and, uh, and and year and a half. Um, she's also not going to want Europe. Europe is also not going to want to take responsibility for there being a significant problem in Ireland. That, in essence, is her case today. It is that one bit more aggressive than we were expecting, and it's a different approach to what we ever saw David Cameron doing. David Cameron's approach didn't work. I think that therefore poses a question, and we just don't know the answer to it, of whether or not this is quite possibly going to be more successful. I think one interesting thing, though, is to what price are the British people willing to pay? So this idea that Philip Hammond floated over the weekend, and Theresa May has raised as well, that Britain, if we don't get a good deal, we could sort of walk away from the European social model and become a kind of Singapore, low tax, low regulation. But actually, the implications of that for these left-behind communities, the sort of poor working class areas that voted for Brexit, are huge, because what that means is fewer workers' rights, potentially lower wages. Um, so it might benefit the city, it might benefit business, but actually for the people who voted for Brexit, that's not going to help them at all. And there's a danger of, for the sake of a sort of, you know, theoretical economic model and economic benefits, actual people in actual jobs end up suffering. So Ellie, you're shaking your head. Yes, because I actually think the precise opposite, that actually for those families that we're trying to help, the just about managing, by, by coming out of the customs union, by scrapping the common external tariff, tariffs which are put the price up on clothes, on food, on other products that we don't produce, um, we're actually making the cost of living considerably lower for vast the vast majority of people in this country. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, relax. 
and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Backing away from the European social model and the workers' rights that uh, Philip Hammond and Theresa May have floated, isn't that going to harm those families. Again, as the Prime Minister said today, workers' rights will be protected. And I think the social um, the social uh, rights which come from the European Union are all going to be subject to debate and discussion in Parliament. And, and, that, and, and, and common sense will prevail. There are so many business interests. The unions are uh, very vocal in this country and we all want our workers to be protected. So I don't think that's going to be thrown out uh, in any deal uh, in any future post-Brexit. It feels a bit like, she, I mean, obviously she's sort of trying to please everyone all at the same time. On the one hand, we could walk away and drop the WTO and go with the Singapore. But on the other hand, she's promising even uh, better, tougher, uh, more helpful workers' rights. I mean, the thing is, until now, she's played on ambiguity. So it's been Brexit means Brexit means nothing. Um, but now there is clarity. So there's stuff for people to disagree on on both sides. And I think that's where the danger is going to come politically. You're going to have the pro-European conservatives who, who like to see themselves as the new bastards absolutely furious about a lot of this. Uh, and then people on the Eurosceptic side are going to be, get angry when, when she has to make concessions, which inevitably she will. And listening to today's speech, I think it's, I, I think it's tempting to think um, we've got uh, clarity. But Brexit, I don't think anyone would disagree, is an issue of immense complexity. And I think we just have to step back and recognise just how much we don't yet know. For instance, are we going to give uh, European nationals any kind of preferential treatment, whether it's in free movement to labour, free movement in general, uh, the kinds of things that are going to happen to our financial services sector, what's going to happen with money? She said there won't be vast contributions, but that still gives her a lot of scope. I think ultimately we've learned a bit today, uh, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of disagreement, but one of the things in the government's favour is that few people have got a, any conception outside a government of the sheer scale of the complexity, allowing those officials and ministers inside Whitehall to just get on with it uh, without too much scrutiny because we haven't really got a guide to how they're going about it inside uh, the Whitehall machine and that gives them a lot of flexibility. So there's almost like a Potemkin out, uh, a discussion in Parliament and in the sort of public sphere. I mean, there are all these campaign groups that still want to stay in the single market. What you know, They've got to decide whether to <laughs> keep going, wind up That's or give uh... up the ghost in the next 24 hours. But all of this has nothing to do whatsoever with the conversation both within Whitehall and between Whitehall and uh, uh, European counterparts. And that's where the, re the action really ha happens. Theresa May is playing on this extraordinary thing that we are quite separate from and quite far away from what's, what's going on. And she will be able largely to conduct 
the kind of negotiation he wants in secret and probably achieve her goal of making sure there's not too much discussion in the British press and what's going on, which, by the way, is an act of disloyalty, an act of disloyalty which I'm planning to commit. <laughs> well, it was striking that she... I mean, that, it, it, it was in her uh, speech where she said... Um, you know, that every stray word, every hyped up headline makes it harder to get a better deal. And it was the job of uh, ministers, the job of other European leaders to keep quiet, not tell us what was going on. So it feels like today the shutters came up for a bit and she's shown us quite a lot of detail and laid out where she is on lots of subjects. And now the shutters are coming down again and we're, we're going to have to wait for any further um, progress on that. Uh, Rachel, there's been a lot of criticism that Theresa May didn't have a deal. Nobody knew what was going on. Brexit means Brexit. It was a smokescreen. Actually, I mean, the evidence from today is that she has thought about this a lot. There is a plan. The issue might be that some people won't like it, but the, the idea that she doesn't have a plan, doesn't know what to do. Well, there are some Is that goals. gone to bed, do you think? I'm not sure that's quite the same as a plan. I mean, as Sam says, it's very ambitious. It is basically sort of have your cake and eat it. And if, if the cake goes mouldy, you know, we'll walk away and throw the cake in the bin. Um, <laughs> so to extend the metaphor. But I'm not sure quite how much she's thought about the, the actual practicality of the concessions and the detail of it. But I'm sure there's one person who has, and that's Jeremy Hayward, as uh, Sam says, that who's going to be becoming more and more powerful as the civil service kind of gets into the detail and the weeds of all of this. Uh, but I'm not sure that necessarily it's it's shown that sort of huge amount of planning and detail, actually. So, well, on, on the issue of getting bogged down in the weeds, I mean, we've been talking endlessly for months about the single market, the customs union. I, I have a horrible feeling we're hearing a lot more about the common commercial policy and external tariffs. There's a lot of jargon, none of which really played a very big part in the EU referendum campaign. It's certainly not what people who went and voted on June the 23rd spent a huge amount of time thinking about, probably don't understand it all. To what extent do you think there's going to be this sort of slightly weird, opaque debate going on amongst people like us, which is going to seem even more detached from whatever the motivations were for the way that people voted on June the 23rd? What I was very struck by talking to constituents in Fareham during the referendum and immediately afterwards was that this has really reignited uh, interest, not only in uh, arguably arcane constitutional arrangements of the relationship between the courts and parliament, but also as aspects to do with trade policy and immigration and rights of nationals and immigrants. Uh, and I think that's only a healthy thing. And I think, you know, we all have a part to play, politicians, journalists, to to to, to bring, uh, open the doors and let the wind rush through, really. And, and so it's all talking about this becomes part of the vernacular of everyone. So in a small moment of public service, um, I just thought I'd define some terms brought to you uh, by Google. Uh, the customs union, as you know, is the ability of goods to transfer frictionless, i.e. without any particular checks between European countries. The common external tariff, which Theresa May said today we wouldn't be any part of, is the uh, border around most European nations plus Turkey, uh, plus a couple of others. Uh, and that's a common rate that is charged, a uh, common tariff that is charged on all goods coming into and outside that greater European Union. Union border. And then the one that we hadn't really come across before, the common commercial policy, that is simply the fact that the European Union plus Turkey plus Britain all rely effectively on the same international trade deals. That is part of the common commercial tariff um, uh, policy. That is the thing that we are also pulling out of. So those are the three terms that you'll have heard a lot of today that you perhaps haven't um, known too much about before now. And uh, Red Box listeners can show off down the pub by uh, showing that they um, they know what they those mean. Um, just finally, the, the, I thought I was struck by the end of the speech because it 
it was dangerously close to sort of let sunshine win the day that we had from David Cameron uh, once upon a time. She said the country is coming together. She had this message for future generations, building a brighter future. She wanted future generations to look back and realise that she'd help uh, build them a better Britain. I mean, this is a sort of more upbeat message that she's obviously trying to send. So it's not all about the techie stuff that Sandwich is talking about. The, the, overall, the ultimate, ultimate aim of all this is that, that Britain ends up better off out, even though that wasn't necessarily what she was saying 12 months ago. And for me, that means that Brexit is actually part of national renewal, not an obstacle to it. Uh, and actually, if we're going to empower uh, you know, the nation, if we're going to uh, raise uh, people's aspirations and uh, achievement, if we're going to give people more opportunities, actually, you know, freeing ourselves from the shackle of the common external tariff, which makes life more costly, the common commercial policy, which actually disempowers us as a country, uh, immigration controls, the ECJ, we're actually going to be uh, you know, forging this more confident nation as a whole, which will spread beyond the issue of the European Union. And just finally, before we wind up, I mean, it was, I don't think there were any jokes uh, in the speech overall. But what do we make of it as a speech, as a sort of statement of intent from the Prime Minister? Marks out of 10, Sam? Well, it's pretty good. I'd give it seven or eight out of 10. You have to absolutely hand it to her for ambition but I think there are catastrophic consequences if she then fails to deliver. Rachel? I think that's right. It's the contrast potentially between rhetoric and reality. I mean she said what she wants to achieve but can she achieve it? Marks out of 10? I'd say 7. 7. Suella? It's going to be a 10 out of 10. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Nothing less. What a, what a loyal Tory MP you are. <laughs> Future Minister. Absolutely. No, but it's genuine. I mean, bold, ambitious, self-confident, inspiring. What you want in a speech? Well, there we are. Let us know what you uh, thought um, by giving uh, marks out of 10. You can email us redbox at thetimes.co.uk, tweet us at timesredbox, or find us on Facebook. Do remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on your Android device. And, of course, you can sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox email. But for now, from here in Parliament, from Sam, Rachel, Suella and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.